You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone. I am Jeff Ellis. This is the Locked On Indians podcast. We're going to start out by talking some history on the show today. And the main reason for that is I like to go over to nationalpastime.com and just kind of look at what's happened in Indians history. For instance, I'm recording this on the 25th. You'll listen on the 26th. It's when the Indians send Manny Acton to a three-year contract to become the 40th manager in franchise history. Or Gaylord, Gaylord Perry wins the NL Cy Young for the Padres and making him the first hurler to win it in each league. If you're curious, on the 26th, Hank Greenberg wins the uh, MVP. Uh, finishing second that year, Bob Feller in 1940, and he becomes the first player to win an MVP at different positions. You have, before Game 5 of the World Series, uh, Commander Ken Bowersox, who's on Columbia, throws a ceremonial first pitch. Uh, the ceremony transmit from space is shown to the fans at Jacobs Field. Continues with an animated sequence on the scoreboard that ends with a ball that appears to fly in and land in center field. And, unless happy, 1997 when uh, the 11th inning of Game 7 occurs with Renteria and the Council. We don't need to talk about that more, but the A, it's a great resource for us in the offseason to figure out what we're going to talk about as we sit around and wait, uh, but we also had a really interesting trade that occurred way back in 1955 on the state, so we're going to spend a lot of time really getting to the weeds on it, because to me it was kind of humorous. I'd love to hear from those who listen at home, like, is this just me being odd with kind of enjoying how weird and circular and I hate to use the word incestuous but to a degree of that with these trades these players that leave one team come back and leave how odd baseball was in the 50s in general but we'll talk about that trade and then if we have some time we'll dive into potential deals uh, on the later half of the show today so that deal was in 1955 the Indians traded Larry Doby to the Charlotte White Sox for Chico Carousel and Jim Bubsy. Uh, he would play in Chicago for about two seasons. Uh, and okay, so when you go and you look at, you know, we know about the 54 Indians. They had that fantastic season and they got swept in the World Series. In 55, they finished three games out of first behind the Yankees. And that year, they were just awful at shortstop. They were really, really bad at shortstop in general that year. And that's part of the reason for this trade, I am sure. Both. Um, Larry Doby and Chico Carousel were coming off of All-Star Game appearances, and that was kind of the centerpieces of those deals for both sides. George Strickland had struggled to hit his weight, didn't provide any real value offensively at all, uh, and the rest of the lineup was still quite strong. Al Smith, Larry Doby, Ralph Kiner, Al Rosen, Bobby Avila, Vic Wirtz, strong lineup all around uh, in those spots. Jim Hegan, a catcher, wasn't working out as well. But, uh, yeah, you, had a, you even had a young Rocky Calavito make uh, an appearance that year for the team. Uh, and maybe that's part of the thinking when you move. Well, if you're trading Larry Doby and you have Al Smith and Ralph Kiner in your outfield, you're not, uh, you're not thinking of uh, one of those guys moving to center, I'm sure. But it, Bubsy was a known guy, an odd talent, um, made an all-star game and finished in the top 30 of the MVP in 51, finished top 18, in 54, uh, 
just a different era. I mean, 54, he had a, an OPS plus, you know, relative to the rest of the league at a 105, so a little bit above average. Uh, the year he was an all-star, he was at a 90, so he was below average. Viewed as more of a defensive center fielder, the defensive war scores aren't great. Hard to judge anyone from that era. But he wasn't very good, and his time in Cleveland was very short, but he was supposed to step in and be the center fielder. You get Chico Carousel, who's going to step in as the shortstop, and it's going to make your team better. You're you're having one position go down, so you can have two increase, even though it's one of those heart and soul pieces of your team, which makes it very hard to do in general. But this would not be the end of Larry Doby's time in Cleveland. He would uh, end up in 56 with the White Sox. Uh, he he's I mean, that's the thing. Like You look at his years with the, the White Sox. The Indians got below average production from both players they got. Uh, Doby continued to hit in 56 and in 57. The Indians would acquire him in 58. Uh, he would play very well for them. 59, it wouldn't go as well, and he does get traded out of town again for that final season. Uh, that was his age 35 year, and that's kind of a natural aging progression. But he was an excellent hitter up and through 58. So let's talk about the humor of why this trade really amused me. So eventually, Cleveland would trade Jim Bubsy in 57 to Baltimore for Dick Williams. It's, it's a name to kind of remember as Dick Williams because it's going to come back around again, which is what, you know, again, why this amused me. He was an outfielder, a third baseman, first baseman. Had played with uh, Brooklyn for a time, and he'd never really been a full-time starter before this. He had had some moments. Uh, he got an opportunity to play a lot in 57 with the Indians. When they traded him, did that flip. He was okay. Uh, never really a great player, but yeah, they got... They got Dick Williams for Bubsy and for Chico Carousel. He also would not stick around long. He would be flipped to the Athletics for Billy Hunter. And then, in a funny twist of fate, the Athletics would trade him to the Baltimore Orioles. Um, so in June of 58, the Indians trade him. In October of 58, uh, Kansas City trades him to Baltimore for Dick Williams. So, again, <laughs> the weird little circle of how these trades work out. Uh, if you're curious about Billy Hunter... He had a negative 1.9 career war, and that was a half season in Cleveland, and that was the end of his career at age 30. He never uh, never bounced back around again. Uh, so I, I mentioned Dick Williams, not just because they traded another player to uh, from that initial trade to acquire him, but because... So when, going back to Larry Doby, he has those two strong years with the White Sox, and they trade him to the Baltimore Orioles, Keeping in mind that Tito Francona is one of the pieces Chicago gets for, uh, in it's a it's a four for three deal. Doby's part of the four players going out. One of the players going to the White Sox ends up being Tito Francona, Terry's dad, and the Indians. Uh, then in April of that year, that trade is in December. The Indians trade uh, get Don uh, Farisi. For Dick Williams, previously mentioned, Gene Woodling, who we'll talk about some more, and Bud Daly. Now, if you're curious about Don Farese, he uh, career war of four in Cleveland. He actually had some of his better years. Uh, he was most he was mostly a uh, he was one of those kind of like swing types, you know, appearing in like 40 games or 28 games, but would have like 10 starts in a year. Uh, was not a bad player for Cleveland at all, and I'm betting if I look at his war, he did have uh, one, his best year was with the Phillies. 
And I'm betting that's, yeah, he got a chance to fully start uh, in Cleveland in the late 50s. He didn't get that opportunity. But the performance relative to uh, maybe name value or anything else was, was pretty good there. So that was a nice ad. When Cleveland shipped him out, it was with, uh, oof. He went out in the when the Indians traded Minnie Minoso. Uh, Dick Brown and Jake Stryker. This is, I believe, after they had already, after he'd already been a good player. This was, you know, they traded him away, got him back, and then traded him back. Uh, yeah, I just double checked that. We talked about that trade earlier, and I said, "Ooh," because they got Norm Cash in that deal. If you remember last spring, we talked about this in depth, who they would later give away and get nothing for, and help build that Detroit team. Uh, the Bud Daly, who they acquired. Uh, would eventually get traded off as well. Did not do a whole lot in Cleveland. He would get... Uh, I'm sorry, because he went. He was part of the cost to acquire, so Cleveland traded him. And eventually, Baltimore gets him, and they do another trade that sends him to the, uh, the Athletics. The Athletics eventually send him to the Yankees, and then he eventually gets sent back to Cleveland, though he doesn't actually pitch for Cleveland. So another guy the Indians acquire at the very end of his career. And if you want a long career, use Bilt Bar i got to get a new order soon. I'm kind of waiting to see if they have any special uh, things coming up. But my advice, and what I'm probably going to do myself, is just get the mix box. And when I go to BuiltBar.com and I make my most recent order, my next order that's going to come, I'm going to use the promo code Locked On. I'm going to save on my order, and I'm going to make the podcast look good. So you're going to go over to BuiltBar.com and make sure to enter that promo code Locked On. Why should you do it? For me, I... It's the best tasting bar. I always like breakfast bars in the morning. This is what I eat. This is what I've done. Uh, They sent us that free sample, and since then, I have been a dedicated customer. This is not me just selling you a product. It's me telling you I love this product. It is a product I use every day. When you use that promo code locked on, you get 20% off the rest of your order. So I'm going to go use it. It's going to be my fourth order, I think, since we started with this company, but I enjoy the product that much. I don't think there's anything better I can say than this is something I like enough to spend my own money on and that I use every single day. BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code Locked On. So before the break, I was getting ready to talk about Gene Woodling, and then I realized where we were in time, and I wanted to talk about Gene Woodling. And There's a lot of great reasons to talk about Gene Woodling. Born in Ohio in 1922, died in Barberton in 2001. He was buried in Granger, Granger Fairview Cemetery. He went to Akron East High School, which um, I should probably look at what the name change has been with Akron East. You know, my, I always hear my dad talking about um, the various places. In my mind, Akron East became Bookdal. I'm going to see if that is the case or if I'm wrong. Oh, no, there is just an East. Um, I just know there's points in times where things change. My dad went to uh, Garfield, so I feel like I've, I've gotten told all sorts of stories through the years. From Akron East, the only two players to make it, Gene Mitchell and uh, Gene Woodling. It's just funny, they're both Genes. Uh, one from 66 to 75, the other from 43 to 62. And Woodling came up with the Indians, actually. One of those guys, he debuted in 43 with the Indians at the age of 20. Did not play in 44 or 45 due to military service. 46 with the Indians, uh, not a great performance by him. He gets traded to Pittsburgh. For in whew, what an awful trade. So again, the Indians acquiring guys at the end of their career. That could be the theme for this podcast. They ship out Gene Woodling. Now in fairness, let's see, the 46 Indians, I mean that is when they're building to greatness. Uh, 48 is of course the World Series championship. Those were stacked teams. But the 46 Indians had George Case in one of their outfield spots and he was awful. 
Uh, Pat Seary, Hank Edwards had really strong production for them that year. And if we jump ahead to 47, they have a Hank Edwards is still there. George Metkovich is not great. Dale Mitchell is okay. And I'm just doing this so we can just kind of talk about the general. And then 48, of course, they bring in Larry Doby. Dale Mitchell steps up. Thurman Tucker is the other guy. So this whole time, they could have used another outfielder. And I want to bring this up because he goes from Cleveland to Pittsburgh uh, for Al Lopez. I don't think I clarified. Al Lopez, who was soon to be 38 years old and just a pure backup catcher at that time. So they, they trade away the local kid. And he does not play in the majors in... As a matter of fact, this is back in the days where he was traded as part of a deal to the uh, San Francisco of the PCL. So he was out of Major League Baseball, uh, Pacific Coast League, traded to San Francisco uh, for uh, with Manny Perez and Ken Gables uh, for $100,000, basically sold off. Uh, he gets purchased by the Yankees in '48. Plays in their minors that year, and then for the next few years is a starter on those 50s Yankees teams, uh, earning himself some top uh, 30 MVP finishes. Only a one-time All-Star. That was actually after he... So he's in a lot of trades because he had a 17-year career. And again, this is a a local kid, so it's even extra fun to talk about. So the Indian Simon's an amateur. They trade him out in 46 for Al Lopez. Pirates sell him. Yankees buy him. And in 54, he is part of a 17-player trade between the Yankees and the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, Don Larson, a lot of you know names. It's, it would be just crazy uh, trade to track. Then that's in 54. In 55, he's traded to the Indians along with Billy Cox, who, guess what? That was his final year in the bigs. Again, the theme of this for Dave Pope and Wally Westlake. Uh, Cox refuses to report, so Baltimore sends 15000 to the Indians. So he's with the Indians at 55, and that's important to know because he's had a career high in home runs in 57 with the Indians with 19. He was never a big power guy, but like in 53 with the Yankees, led the league in on-base percentage at 429. Uh, a, an on-base machine played uh, some center and some right during his time. Comes to Cleveland, and then Baltimore decides they need him back after he has some productive years with the Indians, and he's part of the uh, the Larry Doby trade on the other way, one of those other names. Eventually would be a scout for the Yankees and the Indians, so finds his way back to Cleveland. But just an interesting story. Started here, found success elsewhere, found success here, gets traded out. And I think we've finally gone through... No, we have not. I'm wrong. Because there's one final point, the cherry on top of kind of the craziness and the way all these trades uh, come together. If you remember, I made a big deal that when Doby was traded to the uh, Orioles, never played for him, but was traded to them, Tito Francona went the other way. Well, in 1959, Larry Doby gets traded away again by the Indians to the Tigers for Tito Francona. Uh, Later on that year, the Chicago White Sox would buy him from the Tigers for $30,000. In terms of uh, the Indians, this is like the rare trade that actually worked out really well for the Indians. Uh, Tito Francona had actually had a finished second in the Rookie of the Year uh, in '56. Didn't really have a spot in 57. 58, spent some time with Detroit, some with the White Sox. With the Indians in 59, he finishes top five in the MVP. That's, that's you know, something. I don't think I ever realized he was quite that high. Uh, in 1960, he led the league in doubles, still really productive. 
Every year gets a little less productive during his time in Cleveland, though. Has a rebound in 64, but other than that, every year was a, a bit of a drop. But, uh, yeah, that was Tito Francona's time in Cleveland. Uh, the Larry Doby trade, the second one, certainly worked out for the Indians. Larry Doby signing, one of the best in franchise history. There's no doubt about that. No way you can argue it. And, really, why were the Indians good in the late 40s? into the early 50s, it's because they broke the color barrier and they were able to sign a lot of players that um, other teams were just not willing to sign. They were able to put together a superior product on the field, a superior team, because they were out there looking for just talented players regardless of skin color when other teams are not willing. And that is really... There's the 1920s where they have success, and then they really don't hit a big patch of success until the 40s where they where they integrate there's some okay seasons before that and they have some great talent it's not just that they integrated but integrating when they did gave them a huge advantage like luke easter we talked about last year and and what he did and some of the other players they're able to add and go out and basically add talent satchel page who was uh instrumental in some of those world series games uh really helped on top of you know, Larry Doby being it, just an excellent player. That's when the Indians found success. So if not for them taking advantage of integration, the Indians might not have had another World Series appearance uh, between, you know, 1920, uh, what, 1928 and 1995. Uh, that's, that's how bad things were mismanaged with the Cleveland Indians. But as you can see, just talking about those trades, how bad teams were in general it's like oh that guy used to play here we need an outfielder let's get him back oh yeah we didn't like him that much let's trade him away oh now he's back again now he's got it was an odd odd time to be a baseball fan that is for sure so i did promise a little trade talk here at the very end of the show we'll talk about this uh we said we still need to go back and look at the nl east in a non-lindorian fashion uh so for a quick hit here miami marlins do they have outfield help to trade the indians no they have worse outfielders than the Cleveland Indians. All those high-risk uh, prospects have not really worked out for them. Uh, yes, I, they now do have Starling Marte. Matt Joyce, who's hitting free agency, was a, a, one of their constants in the outfield this year. They're a team that is going to be looking to add, not subtract to that position. So, in general, they're a team that uh, needs bats, isn't going to trade them away. And I do not see any type of deal that makes even remote sense between the Indians uh, and the Marlins outside of a mega deal for someone like Lindor uh, as they look to find the face of a franchise that is trying to make the next steps to repeated competition. We will continue to talk about the NLEs throughout the week. Tomorrow we're going to touch base on the World Series. Where is it? How are things going? Uh, it's been kind of a crazy series. We're going to talk about some of the things I had right and wrong about the series, including some of my hot takes from before the season began. I've been Jeff Ellis. This has been the Lockdown Aids Podcast reminding you to rate and review that is very important to our numbers download every day listen play have a friend download let's get those numbers up let's make us one of the top 10 podcasts because it's not just my podcast for everyone who listens if it was just my podcast uh i wouldn't still be doing it i am doing it because uh, yes it is a job but b because all the great positive interactions with people out there that's what really uh makes it worthwhile it is if not for all the fun i have and all the nice interactions with people, 
this podcast would uh, wouldn't be nowhere near as enjoyable as it is. So thank you all for that. And uh, again, try to pass the fun, pass the joy. Let's let's help uh, drive those numbers through the roof. I've been Jeff Ellis. This has been the Lockdown Indians podcast. And as always, go Tribe.